0: Welcome in to the 48 Minutes Podcast On Believe, presented by Bet Online. I'm Ross Geiger, joined alongside my co-host, World B Michael Freer. And this is episode number 46, the Aaron Baines episode, as Baines pretty much gets the honoree nod by default here. Slim pickings tonight, World B, but hey, Baines had some solid NBA seasons, and I'll certainly always remember when he began expanding his range out to the three-point line and became a respectable three-point shooter when given space. So I'm sure if he was around these days, I'd throw him in for a three-pointer here and there on a parlay, and uh, (laughs) speaking of those bets, bet online is your number one source for all your basketball info, stats, news, and scores. Get the latest odds and lines, and the latest matchup reports for this year's NBA playoffs. BetOnline is your sports intel headquarters this season, as we have you covered for all your insider sports wagering needs from basketball, MLB, NHL hockey, golf to UFC, and boxing. The fastest and easiest way to get your betting info, including live betting options in your favorite Casino and card games available to play right from your home. Get in on the action today, so head to the website or use your mobile device to join and be sure to use our promo code BLEAV, that is B-L-E-A-V, to receive your 50% bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, where the game starts. And uh, we'll be, before we do get started tonight, you know our partner and co-host Bruce Bernstein won't be with us this week on our shows. uh, This Monday morning... Bruce's mom, Teddy, passed away at the age of 96. Bruce's mom was a huge fan of the Celtics, Patriots, and Red Sox. And uh, like many Celtics fans, Teddy never thought the refs gave the Celtics a break. So at least we know the apple doesn't fall fall too far from the tree there. She went peacefully uh, on Monday, and Bruce and his family are doing all right. And Bruce will be back a week from today. So we certainly thank everyone for their kind thoughts. And I know on behalf of you and I, we... uh, Wish the Bernstein family well during this difficult time. And uh, with that, we'll go ahead and get started with you with our opening tip.
1: Well, thank you, Ross. Uh, Carmelo Anthony officially announced his retirement Monday after 19 seasons in the NBA. Regardless of your thoughts on his career, no NBA championship, no MVP, the numbers are obviously Hall of Fame worthy. Over 28,000 career points in his career, this is the list of players who have scored more points than Melo. LeBron, Kareem, the Mailman, Kobe, MJ, Dirk, the Dipper, and Shaq. When you reach this level, using your full name isn't necessary, and that was the case with Melo. People will point to the fact that he's never won an NBA championship or even reached the NBA finals and it as a blemish on his career, and that's not entirely unfair. However, anyone who wants to be on you know, wants that to be on his career resume should also acknowledge that Mello led Syracuse to the 2003 NCAA championship as a freshman, and he won a gold medal at the Olympics in 2008, 2012, and 2016. He was arguably the greatest Olympic player ever. In the eyes of many, Mello's career will be defined by what he didn't accomplish. And count me among the people that was not exactly thrilled to see him become a Nick back in 2011. But when you take his career from college to the NBA to the Olympics, there are very few that can match what Melo did over 20 years. Absolutely, well said there, World
0: B. And uh, congrats on to Melo and uh, for his tremendous career in the NBA. I certainly grew up a fan of his game, especially being a master of the mid-range with the footwork, and then, of course, those dagger threes that he hit throughout his career with both the Nuggets and the Knicks, uh, more specifically there. As for my opening tip, uh, after an embarrassing loss in Game 3, Celtics head coach Joe Mazzula was asked if he has lost the locker room. He responded, quote, Yeah, it's why I need to be better to figure out what this team needs. Well, I, don't, I, I think I know what this team needs, and that's a new new coach. There's absolutely no way he can recover from this, admitting that he's lost the rock room at the most important time and biggest stage of the season is a death wish for most head coaches. While the non- non-competitive play by the players speaks for itself, the honesty answering that question directly after the loss makes me question whether or not Missoula would even care to return at this point, or maybe whether or not the writing has already been on the wall for him internally. Either way, what a disappointing, frustrating, and strange coaching hire this has turned out to be for Boston. And I will say this, I do think some of the blame should certainly be thrown on the Celtics front office, as it's fair to say this team didn't really set Missoula up for much success. Where's the veteran coaches on his, on his assistant coaching staff? While Missoula certainly uh, is set up with a talented roster, if you look around the league at NBA coaches that we would all consider great coaches – You're sure you're sure to find notable assistant coaches that have either been a head coach or are certainly interviewing for open roles. And that certainly doesn't seem to be the case in Boston. So, you know, it's a tough one because as much as I want to criticize Missoula all the time, I also look at that front office and say, you know, where was the support in this situation? And uh, I don't feel like he was really set up for that much success for moments like these right now at the biggest stage. So, should be interesting to follow that. I know that we're going to cover that here later on in tonight's pod with the Celtics Heat Talk, but let's go ahead and start with our first quarter as King James was swept by the Denver Nuggets. And uh, we'll be, I'll, I'll start with you here. What was your big takeaway having just watched an exciting game four?
1: Uh, well, it. We mentioned before we went on, I mentioned to you, you know, it was a four game sweep, but it really didn't feel like a four game sweep to me. I mean, you had one game decided by six, another game decided by five. There was an 11 point game in game three. And then tonight being a uh, two point finish where the Lakers had control. You know, they dominated the first half. They played like a team that didn't want to go home. They wanted to keep playing. And so you have a lot of respect for a team that comes out fighting like that. Uh, We haven't, didn't see that from the other team that's down to three nothing in the uh out east that so we'll get into. Uh, LeBron, my takeaway LeBron was uh terrific, and I will uh address LeBron specifically at the end of the show. Uh, he did not have he had a little bit of help, but he certainly did not have enough. And the Nuggets woke up. I mean, the Nuggets, yep. I, I don't think they, I'm not going to sit here and say they uh didn't care in the first half or use that silly cliche. The the Lakers certainly played with more energy, played with more urgency. There's no question about that the way they did it. But that third quarter, 36 to 16. I mean that that's you know, that's absolutely dominating. When you have to dominate, you got beat up in the first half, your energy wasn't there. Mike Michael Malone certainly uh saw that and he was trying to get his team energized. And it just wasn't working. They came out in the second half. Whatever they decided, well, one thing they decided was to get on the fast break. I mean, they got uh, seven, two fast break points in the first half, seven in the third quarter. Uh, yeah, they clearly wanted to do that. They got more second chance points in the third quarter. They really uh, went to work in that third quarter, and that was uh, it. Really turned out to be the difference.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And we did see that urgency by the Lakers uh, earlier on. LeBron basically played the entire first half. That pretty much says everything we need to know about how urgent tonight's game was, of course. And, uh, of course, he he left halftime early and uh, had a heck of a first half there. But uh, at least the NBA fans worldwide were getting treated to a Tristan Thompson halftime interview. I know that uh, we shared a laugh about that. Um, (laughs) But in all seriousness here, you know, LeBron had it going for him in this one, no better example in that first half than when he had that above-the-head lob pass that ended up just swishing uh, through the hoop for three points. I mean, that was just an incredible uh, fluke of luck, I guess you could say. But credit, as you said, will be credit to the Nuggets here. They kept fighting throughout this one. They could have easily saw LeBron's first uh, strong first half and said, you know what, we'll punt this and you know go home and and, and take care of business. You know, in Game Five, no, they. They had the heart of a champion, which is what it takes in this league to, you know, bring it every night. They, they've established good, healthy habits of of, of continuing to, to fight in games and were able to get control of that lead late in the fourth quarter. And uh, I, I was thoroughly impressed with both sides in this one. I thought, you know, the Lakers played about it as hard as you could have thought, uh, played good basketball throughout. I mean, there were some questionable moments from Anthony Davis out there, but, you know, he turned it on there late in the fourth quarter and, you uh, Lakers had every chance to win this one. Nuggets just got the best of them once again, and uh, Nuggets, uh, rightfully so, are the Western Conference champions this year. Yeah,
1: they're they're the better team. We we knew that coming in. It was a long shot for the Lakers. The Lakers getting to this point was impressive enough. We all thought they had. You know, when you have Anthony Davis and LeBron James, you're looking like you you know you're supposed to have a good team. But if you if you want to give an honest assessment, you look around on the Laker roster. They have AD. They have LeBron. And they have a lot of Austin Reeves starting to to come into his own in this season. We saw that. And Hachimura played well uh, for a good part of the playoffs. But there are a bunch of role players after that. And you look at the Nuggets. You have the MVP, previous MVP, the last couple of years and the Joker. And you have Jamal Murray, who's Mm -hmm. just below all-star level. And then you have a bunch of other players, a lot of whom they kind of I don't know where they fall in between. They're not stars. They're not role players either, though. You know, Michael Porter Jr. is not a role player. Aaron Gordon's not a role player. You know, Jamal Murray obviously is not a role player. Kentavious Caldwell Pope is not. He, he's not a role player. He's a. These are quality players. Where the Lakers basically have role players. Dennis Schroeder is a role player. The Angel yep. Russell. I'm sorry. Until you show me a little more, you're a role player on this team. You, you just are. It's the way it is. Lonnie Walker. We like Lonnie Walker, but he's a, he's a role player. Yep. The, the Nuggets don't have that. The, I mean, they have a couple, you know, you, Bruce Brown is probably considered a role player. Jeff Green is probably that. And then after, you know, by the way, they only played seven players tonight. So the Nuggets clearly uh, weren't taking this game off. So there, there is a definite no. gap in talent between the Nuggets and the Lakers. And, it, you know, it, it showed up over four games. But I think, you, you know, we both credit the Nuggets for coming out and playing hard in this game. And I think it was the way the series went. They didn't blow out. I mean, they had an 11-point game in game three and stuff, and that they jumped out or whatever. But, you know, the two games in Denver were tough games. The Lakers had a shot in those. They didn't execute, and they deserved to lose. So if you're the Nuggets, you're not thinking we got this one in the bag. You're thinking back to, gee, they pushed us games one and two do we really want to extend this series and so they they really showed uh to use rudy t's uh famous quote the heart of a champion
0: yep yep and uh i think this is a great example of how some of these things take time and obviously going through some tribulations here this is a team that's been battling the last couple years as a group to make it to this this peak peak level, the pinnacle of, of of basketball, making it to the NBA finals. They've been there. They've gone through the struggles. And, you know, I think that cohesion and having that experience as a group is what separates a team like the Nuggets from a team like the Lakers, despite the Lakers having two of the NBA greats in Anthony Davis and LeBron James. And uh, I think it was a uh, Uh, A big, big test for uh, the Nuggets to go ahead and close this one out as they continue to push there in game four. I mean, the Joker played 45 of the available 48 minutes in this one. Murray, 43 minutes. Aaron Gordon, 40. Porter, 40. And uh, Caldwell, Polk, 39. And as you had already stated, only two reserves played off this bench. So definitely for uh, Michael Malone and his uh, roster, it's got to be a good feeling knowing you got now about a week. I think uh, first finals game is June first, uh, yeah. if I remember correctly. There June first, so they're gonna have some time to kind of rest, recover, and get set for you know who they face next. It's of course looking like the Miami Heat. But uh, one last thing on this game before we do go ahead and move forward, unless you got something else, is uh, you know late in that game for the Lakers, um, believe they were down two at the time. LeBron James had it at the top of the key in a critical two for one possession uh had some space it looked like the Nuggets defense was trying to to debate him into a three I think in years past we would see LeBron James you know go full throttle put his head down and aggressively attack the rim this time you know he just kind of waited debated taking the shot and then flipped it over quickly to Schroeder who swung it around the horn to the corner and had it deflected out of bounds trying to get the ball to Reeves and uh you know coming out of that timeout when Darvin Ham. Uh, took that there was like four seconds left uh, on the shot clock and LeBron had to uh, settle for a off-balance James Harden like one-legged fadeaway there that clanked off the side of the backboard and uh, my question to you will be is is this just another tall tale sign of of LeBron James kind of slowing down or do you think it was just the usage in this game and in the series or are you going to start crediting some of this to his age? Are we, are we finally starting to see the father time as, as well as he played? I mean, that was a critical moment to where if you're the man and you're, you know, one of the the, the greatest in the game today, I mean, you would think he would take over in that, that scenario,
1: right? Well, you would think, I don't think, uh, you know, he was gassed in a, for, I mean, he played all but four seconds in this game, which is mind boggling. Uh, so yeah. he, he literally gave everything he had in this game tonight. So, I'm not going to criticize uh, his, that play too much. I agree with you. It was a weird situation. He could have easily taken it to the hole. I think he was busy assessing the situation. If I remember right, Joker had come out on him on that play. Yeah, uh, and But he sat back, uh, LeBron did, to, to assess the whole situation, read the, the defense, and he's probably looking up at the clock, probably thinking maybe, do I have enough for two, for one? What do I do? And I think he took – I think he basically just took too much time in getting the offense uh set. I don't think it uh age had anything to do. I don't think uh uh his uh tiredness of the game. It could have been. I don't I just don't think it was that situation. I think it was just a bad uh decision on his part in getting the offense going in that situation and it became a frantic thing. Like you said, they batted the ball out of bounds, they had less than four seconds to get a shot off and it ended up turning out to be a bad shot. I always like in those situations, me personally, watching a game, to not worry about the clock as much and take a good shot because it seems to me that you end up taking a bad shot when you're more concerned about when you take the shot. You hear people on TV all the time say, you know, somebody makes a great shot. Oh, did he leave too much time on the clock? Well, you take the best shot when you get the best shot. That's how it works. You deal with the rest later. I'd rather take a good shot with 10 seconds then allowed the shot with five, and you know I agree. You know t- then you're scrambling, just like what happened here. I think it was just a bad situation, a bad running of the offense uh, execution wise. I don't think the being winded or the being tired had anything to do with it. Although forty seven minutes and fifty six seconds, yeah. it very well could have been. I mean, that's an incredible. He played more than anybody else on the on the court tonight. The guys that oldest yeah. on the court played the most and scored the most points. Had 14 rebounds or had uh, 10 rebounds and nine cents. One is just away from a triple double. I mean, that's, that's incredible.
0: Yeah. And, and I want to be clear. Obviously it's easy for me to criticize as, as is anyone sitting here on the couch watching the game. But, you know, as, as you mentioned, and I failed to point out, he had to switch on to, to Jokic. Jokic had five fouls. So I don't know. I mean, I just feel like in that type of circumstances in years past, we would have saw a different LeBron and, uh, you know, obviously. Well, he, did,
1: he did take it to the hole a couple possessions earlier, I think, to tie the game when he took it right to the hole. And, and uh, I can't remember. I think Joker was on him, but I'm not positive. And I thought he let up and uh, he beat him to the hole. And I think it tied the game with about a minute or a minute and a half to go. I'd have to you know double check that. But he did take it to the hole. That was a perfect opportunity, you would think, to take it to the hole. But he was probably waiting to see when who was going to be available. The double team came when he started to drive because that's what happened on the last play As you you know, he drove yeah. it and Jamal Murray was on him and Joker was on him and he didn't get really – he didn't get a shot off really and it got uh, tied up with uh, Jamal Murray, who a great defensive play. Uh, so I'm assuming without knowing and here in the post-game interview, he was probably assessing the defense, seeing where the double was going to come and it just took too much time in in uh, developing.
0: Yeah, no, great take there. And uh, I'm sure glad that that last possession where LeBron didn't get a shot off, it was a totally clean defensive possession because last thing I need to hear is people being, well, he was fouled. Oh, it was a fluke. You know, I'm, I'm just glad that Murray cleanly tied that ball up. We had, uh, good uh contest there down low and uh just good defense he had, and, and, and he
1: had Aaron Gordon on him on that last possession too so yeah you know Murray came over to help made a great defensive play clean grab there and uh yeah that was the that was a play you want LeBron to take the shot in that you know in that spot and, and uh you figured he would and it just didn't work out
0: yep Totally. And so congrats go out to the Denver Nuggets and their fans as they do reach the finals. Uh, Exciting times in Denver and uh, should be fun to see who they face next, which leads us right into our second quarter here as the Heat destroy the Celtics back at home in game three. Uh, My quick assessment on this one will be before I ask for yours. No heart by the Celtics, direct line drives to the basket, given up all game long. Where did Boston's defense go?
1: That's a very good question because this is a team that was uh, number two, I believe, in efficiency during the season in defensive efficiency. I, you know, I, people listen to this podcast. I talked about it probably on a episode to episode basis, but one of three teams, top 10 in the offensive, top 10 in defensive efficiency, the Cavaliers and the Sixers being the other two. So it was really, uh, really mind boggling to see a team, that they held to 110 points per 110 points per 100 possessions in their regular season meetings, and in three games in the series, the Miami Heat are scoring 124 points per 100 possessions. It's a really uh, a real disappointing effort for them uh, defensively, all over the place for Boston.
0: Yeah, and you know as much criticism as Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown both deservingly will get and have gotten thus far after uh, the game three performance. Malcolm Brogdon. Uh, I just, I just want to point this guy out. I mean, he was my pick for sixth man of the year uh, this year, zero points in 18 minutes. 0-6 from the field, including 0-3 from, uh, from downtown. Didn't really do anything. I mean, two assists, two rebounds. Uh, just what their best guy off the bench uh, as much as, uh, Flack as he's gotten, especially with uh, how things have gone. Grant Williams had 12 points, 5 of 7 from the field. I thought Williams, in, in, in the time that I watched that game, uh, I thought Grant Williams certainly played his butt off and, and certainly cared a lot more than any any one of other of those other Celtics out there.
1: Yeah, uh, Tatum, Brown, and Brogdon in this series, 10 of 52 from three-point range. Those are your top three scorers during the regular season. How are you going to win? How are you going to win the games when you can't get shooting any better than that from your best players? So, I mean, it's really. So, I agree with you. The effort they put forth uh, in Game Three was was awful. It was it was simply awful. And if you're a Celtics fan, it has to be unacceptable. You can lose. I mean, look look at the difference in these series. The Lakers get swept, and it's a disappointment. But they're you know they got further than you thought. And they played hard in, in basically all the games and they played down the stretch, down the wire in three of the games. So while you're disappointed, if you're a Laker fan, you have respect for them. Hey, we fought hard every step of the way. Yeah. The Celtics are, it's, it's not that you're losing to Miami. It's that you're just not putting forth the effort. There, there is no excuse for the effort of, of the Celtics in game three. And, and, while I vehemently disagree with your take on Joe Missoula, uh, <laughs> whether he or not he should be back, and we can go back and forth on that one, I've been doing it on social media for a couple of days now, uh, he gets the blame too. He gets as much blame as anybody else. My biggest deal is I don't think he should get more than uh, their stars. We were giving yeah. Jason Tatum all this. You know, we are anointing him the greatest Celtic ever after his Game 7 performance in, against the Sixers. Fifty-one points, the greatest ever. We're talking. About he's going to be him and Bird and and you know whoever else you want to put up a Havlicek and all the Russell, all the great ones. And you can't do better than what you're doing right now. Yeah, I know he's got twenty-six a game, but he's shooting twenty-five percent from three. That's the Celtics game, and they're, not, they're just not getting it done. And their stars are not getting it done, led by Tatum and Jalen Brown.
0: Yep. And then on the flip side, you look at Miami, and they seem to have guys just stepping up all over the place. Uh, most recently, Gabe Vincent, 29 points in 35 minutes, 11 of 14 from the field, 6 of 9 from 3. He was tremendous in this game. Jimmy Butler, you know, had a, had a pretty off night, 5 of 13, 16 points. Uh, Cody Martin, another star off the bench. I mean, they just get you know keep getting valuable contributions from guys up and down this roster. And, uh, you know, a lot of that goes... Credit to the quote-unquote heat culture of staying ready, being prepared for the moment, and, and and finding your spots to go ahead and be impactful for this team. Duncan Robinson, as much flack as we gave him this year for you know, kind of being a bust when it came to making $90 million, couldn't make a shot. Five of seven from three, 22 points, leading the, the yeah. heat off the bench. I mean, just wherever you look on this roster, guys are stepping up left and right to uh, go ahead and, and put – put together a a strong game for for the team and you know I as much as the ratings might not be there I know that's the question going on right now amongst Twitter everywhere I think it's going to be a heck of a series if we end up with the Nuggets Miami Heat and I I would say most NBA fans that are diehards and truly appreciate the game are really looking forward to a matchup like this
1: yeah I mean it's it's, you know it doesn't think it'd be a ratings bonanza but then again I don't care I'm going to be watching. I'll be watching no matter what. Um, Yeah, I think it'll be a great matchup. The Miami Heat are simply doing nothing like we saw during the regular season. I mean, it's just during the regular season, they were 25th in efficiency. They were 25th in effective field goal percentage. They were 27th in three-point shooting. I mean, the the Orlando Magic and San Antonio Spurs both shot better from three-point range during the season (sighs) than the Miami Heat. That gives you to give you some idea of how bad it was Miami shooting. So what are they doing in the the conference finals? They're 48% from three point range. And that's (laughs) unbelievable. And another thing they're shooting. They've missed nine shots in the restricted area in three games shooting 80% (laughs) in the restricted area. By the way, that's as much a testament to the Celtics lack of defense as it is to Miami's uh, ability to score up there. They were 20th in the regular season and shooting in mid-range. They're hitting 50% in the in the series. Or in the, yeah, it's it's unbelievable how the turnaround, and we saw it against the Bucks. We saw this is the number, these are the numbers they put against the Bucks. And then we get to the Knicks series. Oh, well, they can't do that against the Knicks series. And guess what? They didn't do that against the Knicks, and they still won easily. Five yeah. games. So, or six, what was it? Five game, six games, six what, games. What would the yep. series end up? What did the Miami series uh, the, end up being? The Knicks series. I've kind of eased uh, my memory. Was it five or six? I can't. I can't remember now. I think, anyway, I think. it was five. I think it was five. I think it was five too. Um, yeah. Oh, I know it was five. They won in Miami, so it did go five. They yeah. didn't get back to the guards. So I apologize. It was five games, but this is not the. This is a team that was down with three minutes to go in the second playing game on their home court to the Bulls. Yeah. And they're, they're in this spot right now. It's a remarkable turnout. It's one of the best stories the NBA's uh, had. Two of the best stories, if you want to be honest about, it, with the, the fact that the Nuggets are in there for the first time. And yeah. you got Miami, which is, unless something happens dramatically in Beantown, it's over there. I mean, I can't fathom a team as good as the Celtics were during the regular season putting a worse effort on the court in the playoffs in this series. By the yeah. way, one more thing real quick, the Celtics are eight and eight in the postseason, just so you know, we clear that up. It they, they're not running, you know, they're not running rough shots. I think the Nuggets are what, twelve and three now in the postseason. Celtics are yeah. eight and eight. So this is you know this has not exactly been their uh, proudest moment in the playoffs.
0: Not at all. And I think the Nuggets are also undefeated at home which uh, yep. speaks volumes about the, the altitude and that home court advantage that they not only have, but continue to hold up and take pride in. So that will be big moving forward into the NBA Finals as well. So I got to bring it up before we hit lead into break. You, you kind of teased it having been vocal uh, on Twitter. So give me your argument for Joe Missoula. I mean, so if you're a Celtics fan or let's say you're the Celtics uh, owner, you're bringing them back. Is that what you're saying, or what are you defending Absolutely. here with Missoula?
1: I'm defending okay. the fact that he he went into a a bad situation late. Okay. Yeah. Uh, he didn't have uh, he one member of his staff uh, Stoudemire left to go to Georgia Tech. Um, mm-hmm. he didn't have. A, you mentioned how he doesn't have a pro coach and, or a guy with head coaching experience, and I agree. I don't think there was an opportunity to put somebody in that spot. I think if you're going to be assessed. His performance for an entire season didn't do it from the entire season. Two months in, they were on a record pace offensively, and Joe was looking like the coach of the year. He played the team played well enough. He got an extension, which is, by the way, is another reason why I don't think he's gonna uh, be gone. I think th- this is a uh, the the uh, if Eric Spolstra is the Pat Riley protege, then I think Joe Missoula is the Brad Stevens protege, and I think what you're gonna see or what I hope you're going to see is put a better staff out for him going forward. That means more experienced people on the staff. Now, if it turns out, you know, the team ends up the same situation next year. Well, then you, you definitely have an issue. I don't think it's a fair assessment of his coaching the way they're playing in the one series as opposed to what they did during the regular season. They were one or two in the league uh, by the end of the season. So I I don't think it's a fair... If you want to do that, that's fine, but at least acknowledge that he did have a very good regular season. They did not do this in spite of him. Uh, so right. I think if he's going to get the criticism, and it's fair, I just said, I think he deserves some of the blame, just like everybody else. He's not, a, he's not absolved of any uh, criticism in this, uh, but I also think he... Uh, Didn't get a, I don't want to say a fair shake, but he didn't have a chance before the season. He walked into a bad situation because of what happened with their previous coach. And I think he needs a full season of evaluation. I think he needs a full staff. I think he needs to, uh, they need some changes in that roster because this isn't getting it done.
0: Yeah, no. And I think the changes uh, on the roster are what's going to be needed because, uh, Everything you just said is, is, is certainly fair, legitimate. And, uh, you know, I did try to mention a little little of that in my opening tip about not having the seasoned veterans around him to help groom him or help advise him during these situations. But, you know, having, ha- having worked with the players and kind of knowing how they are, I think a lot of these guys in, in the exit meeting, whenever that exit does occur, are going to throw it on him because it's a player's league and that's what they like to do Is wall. We'll we could have done better if the coach was better. So,
1: but that and I, that absolutely could be true. You're you may absolutely be right. We saw it in the Sixer series at the end of that series when Joel yeah. MD um, and 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 uh James Harden criticized Harden. the front. Well, we can't do it ourselves, we need other, which is obviously we all saw was garbage <laughs> then. Uh, yeah. here's the other thing I'll say that, and I don't disagree with that. Uh, the problem, the reason I don't think Missoula's getting a fair shake in that Sixer series, everybody was waiting for him to start. Uh, Robert Williams, along with Al Horford. He finally did it in that series. It turned out to be a success. But then we hear, well, somebody got in his ear and told him he has to do it. Like he didn't, <laughs> he wasn't allowed the opportunity to get credit for making that decision. Somebody made the decision for him. Now, I have no idea if somebody did or not, but neither does anybody else. We just assume that's the case. So that's what I mean. you get, Nobody gave him a fair shake. Uh, I think he deserves a season to get a fair. And if, Jay, if Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown wants to be critical of Missoula because of what happened in this series, then they can go take a hike. I mean, geez, yeah. you can't put the effort that they put on there and just sit here and blame, point fingers at someone else. That's a loser mentality of the highest order.
0: I I don't disagree. I think you have a lot of valid points there um i think he was put in a tough situation and i just feel like he's in a tough spot now with where the celtics are trending going into game four in miami so hopefully uh these guys play with some pride i know this would not look good for any of the players on their resume if they show no heart in a game four like they did in game three so i would fully expect to see a celtics team that comes out motivated to at least send this back to boston and make this series somewhat respectable but uh We'll have to uh, report back on that. And uh, with that, we've reached our halftime buzzer. So we're going to go ahead and take a quick break and come back with you for the second half. And we're back with the start of the third quarter. And uh, we were just talking about a coach in Coach Missoula. Let's talk about the coaching carousel some more and provide some updates here, World B. And uh, let's start with the Milwaukee Bucks as Woj reported earlier on Monday, that there are a final three that are set as of now. And that is Nick nurse, Kenny Atkinson and Adrian Griffin. And what I found ironic about this list is that Griffin was on Nick nurse's staff in Toronto. So technically it's Kenny Atkinson of the warriors and two Raptors coaches. What's your take from uh, what Woj has reporting?
1: Uh, I think it's a, it's a good, uh, it's a good list. I'm, I'm a little surprised that somebody like Monty Williams wasn't uh, considered for, or maybe he was and he didn't want, want that role. I have no idea. I shouldn't speculate that, but I would, I would have thought he'd be a good uh, voice to be on that team that has a lot of veterans. And obviously Monty Williams is well-respected as a coach, as a person. And I think that would have gone over well. I think Kenny Atkinson, uh, I, it broke my heart that he turned he accepted, then turned down uh said no last year to the Hornets job. Not that yeah. it wasn't uh 2020 hindsight on his part worked out well there. <laughs> but uh I I think he's a good coach. I was excited about the idea of him uh ending up in Charlotte. So if I liked him in Charlotte, I gotta like him coaching Milwaukee if, if that uh becomes the case. Yeah.
0: So, I mean, just kind of breaking this one down here, of course, Kenny Atkinson, I had uh, used my opening tip on before saying that, of course, he has a lot of the same principles and comes from that same uh, coaching line as uh, Mike Budenholzer and Darvin Ham and all those guys. The one with Adrian Griffin, unless you're a Milwaukee Bucks fan, uh, you know, Adrian Griffin was an assistant coach on Scott Skiles staff right before I actually joined the team. He has familiarity with the Bucks front office with John Horst. Um, Adrian Griffin has also been, you know, certainly trying to get a head coaching job for almost a decade now. He's been uh, an assistant coach in this league for quite some time and uh, has been inter- has been interviewing for at least multiple teams for a number of years now. So he's certainly knocking on the door and has gotten his fair share of practice for these situations and seems prepared. So you know, I, I hope for a guy like Coach Griffin. You know, if he doesn't land a, a, a big job like the Milwaukee bucks that he'd at least get a situation like Detroit where, you know, he, he could be the guy that's been preparing for this job and, you know, has been, uh, ready to, to take over and lead a team and, uh, being a former player himself could probably do a really good job grooming a young, talented, but raw Pistons group.
1: Yeah, I could see that. Um, uh, when you've been in the league a long time, you, you know, you've been in the system for a long time, um, I think you get you get some amount of respect right there. Being around the league, being a former player, also adds to that. Uh, yeah, it's nice to see somebody like that who's been around for a long time getting these opportunities to interview for and be finalists for these jobs. Now he just needs somebody to uh, believe in him, and if it's the Bucks, you know, more power to them. It's you don't want to miss if you're the Milwaukee Bucks on this hire, since you uh, just let a quality coach. A championship coach get away from you, or do you just send them packing? You don't want to miss on this one because uh, that, that right now this is a franchise uh, altering decision. If you mess up, yep. a lot of a lot of uh, personnel could be changing if you don't get the right coach in this spot.
0: Absolutely, no doubt about that. And then you know the Phoenix Suns, you know, just despite how intriguing the job is. The Suns kind of remain the ultimate wild card right now as far as the head coaches and and the rumors that are are swirling right now. All we know at this point is that the new owner, Matt Ishbia, has been taking the reins, making decisions, and it's been reported that the general manager, James Jones, has taken kind of a backseat here in, in this entire process. Obviously, reports came out about the decision to make the Kevin Durant trade, and of course, when you have a big trade like that, the owner is going to be involved. But it seems like Ishbia is totally involved in this. And uh, kind of as an outsider looking in, be. how would you feel as a Suns fan with a, a brand new owner, you know, making a big swing for KD and, you know, firing a guy like Monty Williams and, you know, still not much being said about, you know, a final three set to take over as head coach?
1: Would you be concerned? Uh- I'd be I'd be concerned, absolutely. Uh, unless this is not a job for me. This is not a job for a, an assistant coach unless it's somebody from Monty's staff that they already know and respect. Yep. Kind of like when the Knicks uh, in the '90s went from Pat Riley to Don Nelson for half a season, and then went to Jeff Van Gundy and a longtime assistant there, and he took over for years with that franchise. Uh, I think an outsider who is an assistant on a roster like this isn't going to work. I think the name's Ty Lu, I mentioned before, I think he'd be perfect for this job. I think Ty Lu would be perfect in any job actually, but uh, I think he'd be great in this job. I think Budenholzer would be a, a solid pick in this job. Uh, you want veteran quality. There's enough championship caliber coaches out there or quality veterans out there to pick from. Uh, you know, the other name, Kevin Kevin Young, has been mentioned. Phoenix assistant. That would be a situation where if they like him, if the players like him, if they're impressed with him, yeah, he could get that job. But I I think looking outside, I from an assistant standpoint, I don't think me personally that would uh, work in this situation. I think you want somebody. Uh, I don't want to say name. I want to say experience uh, yeah. as a head coach. And I think there's enough out there to you know, go forward and find the right coach, just like the Bucks, This is a, a big time decision. You do not want to miss on this one.
0: Yep. Yep. Totally agree. And uh, as you mentioned, there are a lot of quality hires available right now on the coaching market. And uh, please promise me you will show up to uh, our Friday podcast after I ask you this one, but let's just say Boston does make a change. Would it make sense to bring Doc Rivers back in? last coach to win a title in Beantown and our own Celtic uh, colleague here, Bruce seems to love doc. Could you see that happening? If a change is made?
1: Well, given my uh, feelings about doc as a head coach and being a Knicks fan, I'm all for the chaos and that would be chaotic there. So (laughs) I'm all for, uh, such a chaotic, uh, thing. I don't, uh, I don't think he's a bad coach. I just think there are better coaches out there than Doc Rivers. I'm sorry. I just do. Um I I don't see them going that route. On the other you know, here's the other thing too. You know, they just signed Missoula, they removed the interim tag and signed him to a, a long term deal. And now I'm gonna have to pay him to, not to coach, and now I'm gonna have to pay Doc some serious money to come back and coach this team. Um I don't know if he gets you any further than where they are right now. I'll be honest. With you. I don't where where's the resume for Doc that gets him further? You know, that says, all right, the Celtics are gonna go further than they've ever gone, you, you know, with, with uh with Missoula or Brad Stevens or whoever. I mean, I'm you know, I'm looking at a coach. The one championship he won. They brought in Kevin Garnett, they brought yeah. in Ray Allen, two veterans to go along with Paul Pierce. That's a veteran group. You have a veteran group now in Boston, but they're a young veteran group for the most part. Your best players are young. And we don't know what that roster is going to look like if, at the end of the season, you know, beginning of next season with Jalen Brown situation. Um, so I don't think it, if you're going to make a coaching move, I think there are better options than Doc. Okay.
0: That's fair. Just had to get a pulse as far as yeah. the Doc Rivers is concerned. Cause I mean, unless it was like Brad Stevens coming down in the front office which definitely won't happen you know a guy like doc would be at least a good in boston pr spin i feel like a lot of people would love that move and, and, and it would create a lot of buzz around the team of all right now we got an established guy that you know ha- has a resume here and we we love doc we love doc i could just see boston fans kind of rallying behind that
1: sure well instead of being down three nothing in the a- Finals, you could be up three to one and worried about whether you're still going to (laughs) win. Well, well, well
0: said there. And uh, with that, we'll go ahead and get to our fourth quarter. And uh, it's mailbag time, world B. We've got some listener submitted questions. And our first question is With Woj having called Wemba Myama the greatest prospect in NBA history on the draft lottery night, James wants to know what does Wemby have to do in his career to live up to that kind of hype? Tough question there.
1: Uh, it's a tough question. First of all, I disagree with that assessment. I don't think there's yeah. ever been anybody, uh, a bigger prospect coming in this league during my lifetime than LeBron James. I just, uh, I, I, I would agree. There's people have to remember he was, he could have been the number one pick at 16 years old. <laughs> he, did, yeah. he was that big <laughs> a deal. Um, the expectations are so high for him. I, I would think I've heard people say a, a hall of fame career is not enough for someone like that. I disagree. I think, um, I think a, a guy who puts up hall of fame type numbers in that spot would be an acceptable, uh, uh, goal to reach. It's not unacceptable. You know, it's not, uh, an unacceptable goal for him to try and reach, uh, being among the greatest of all time and whatever, that's always debatable. We'll debate that to the end and that's fine. I will say this. I saw a picture of him uh, the other day on Twitter or whatever, standing next to Rudy Gobert, who goes seven one and Rudy Gobert (laughs) was shorter. So that gives you an idea of what we're talking about. uh, The kind of uh, height, the kind of talent we're looking at with him. Uh, Yeah. have a an all-star caliber like our carmelo type of career with maybe a championship if you're fortunate enough or whatever um and that'll to me that'll be acceptable i don't know anybody in 20 years that would say that was a bust they a disappointment. Right.
0: yeah no I, I i thought it was very odd how they kind of set the stage on the draft lottery night Woj even coming out and saying that you know he talked with a uh an NBA scout that said, you know, there's a chance Wembe Miyama could be the best player in the league in three years. I'm like, three years seems like a stretch to me. I think that typically be like five years at best. I mean, I don't know. I just hope we give this guy some, some chances to grow. I mean, I don't think it's going to be like the LeBron James story coming in at of in day one and having that kind of impact, especially coming over from playing international ball. And then of course the size, I mean, this is, this guy is, as you mentioned, 7'5". He's got to kind of build into his body a little bit. I mean, he's going to be greeted with some tough physical play in the NBA.
1: Well, I'll say this. If he is as big a prospect or as good a prospect as somebody like LeBron James uh, was in uh, 2003, it will not take him very long to become one of the best players in year three. If he's, if he's everything, it didn't take LeBron that long. LeBron was among the best in year two. After his rookie yeah. season, by the time second season came around, he was a now he was a much different uh, build. He was a much different type of player. I get all that. I have no idea if this kid's going to be all that in a bag of chips. But if he is what all the scouts and everybody else says, yeah, by year three he could be. You know, if he makes all NBA, that's you're on your way to uh, being at that level in a few years with LeBron and all the all the rest of them.
0: Yeah, it should be a lot of fun to watch with Wemby uh, joining the San Antonio Spurs and just seeing how his career develops here very quickly in the NBA. Now, our second question, of course, we do have a lot of Phoenix listeners, Suns fans that uh, like to chime in. We got a big fan uh, by the name of Mike that put together a list of eight and trade rumors that he's seen out on the internet. And he wants wants us to pick our favorite for the Suns. Now, how much you believe of these, I'll leave it up to everyone listening to, to go ahead and judge for themselves. But uh, first one is that the Bulls would receive DeAndre Eaton and Chris Paul with the Suns getting DeMar Rosen, Lonzo Ball, Andre
1: Drummond, and a conditional first-round pick. Do you believe – If I'm Phoenix, I don't do that. It's I mean, I don't believe it. If I'm Phoenix, I don't uh, make that pick. Why would I want Lonzo Ball?
0: yeah. I, that was did. my thinking. Right. I'm a of Lonzo Ball
1: fan. I'm a huge, I'm a fan of Lonzo Ball. Uh, he's just damaged goods at this point. It's just, yeah, DeMar I mean, DeRozan with, with. Is, is, you're going to find somebody who's at the same age as, as uh, Kevin Durant. I mean, do you really yeah, want to yeah. go down that road? Uh, it's hard to believe you're getting younger by getting rid of Chris Paul, and get, but you're not getting that much younger if you bring in no. DeMar DeRozan. Another player I like, but no, that's, not a believable trade to me.
0: Gotcha. Yeah, I I would tend to agree. I think the Lonzo ball aspect of that and just the idea of getting him and not even knowing whether or not he's going to be able to, you know, play basketball, all jokes aside. I mean, there's a lot of questions whether or not he's going to be able to play at a high level again. Uh, Hopefully that's not the case, but yeah, hard pass on that one. Second one involves the Boston Celtics. The Celtics would receive Aiton and Chris Paul, with the Suns getting Brogdon, Smart, and Horford.
1: Well, it's just Chris Paul comes with, with everything here, doesn't he? <laughs> um Suns fans want him out. <laughs> yeah. Well, they want him out, but they want the contract out for yeah, yeah. CP3 too. Um, yeah. That's another one. Why why am I doing that now if I'm the Celtics? Why am I yeah. why am I yeah. getting rid of uh, it doesn't make sense from the Boston standpoint. All these trades make the great thing about these trades when you're a fan, it all works great from the, your home team's perspective. Yeah. That's a great trade. I, you know, I can trade, uh, Mike Trout to the Mets and I'll get some relief pitcher in return. That, that works out <laughs> great for my, my Mets. So well, let's, let's make that deal. It doesn't usually, uh, work out. Uh, yeah. Why, why would the Celtics want Chris Paul at this stage? And, uh, You know, why would they give up as much as they, you know, you're talking about in that scenario, Brogdon and Smart and who I can't remember the other other player mentioned? It was Horford. And Horford. Horford. Why? I mean, why would I give that up? Uh,
0: Yeah.
1: Granted, they're not exactly distinguishing themselves in this series by uh, any of those three for the Celtics, but still, I'm not going to deal with that. And where do I put Robert Williams?
0: You'd have to play that. You have the Twin Towers in Boston. Well, you have two, right. two, two guys down there. Maybe they'd be able to stop Miyama if you had two guys. You could double them with. You know, maybe that's the strategy. Twice a year. He's going to be, gonna be that good. I mean, you you better be prepared for him if he's going to be this good as Woj. I'm going to set
1: my whole roster to play to beat this, play the birds Spurs twice a year. That yeah. and Joe Missoula is the one on the hot seat. we need yeah. Brad Stevens, for making that deal. Yeah. All right. Two more.
0: Warriors receive Ayton with the Suns getting Jonathan Kaminga and Jordan Poole. This one could have some legs around day Aiton. And pool swap. Not sure if Kaminga would be dangled, but what are your thoughts on that?
1: Well, I would, I could, I, it works out great for the Warriors. I get, yeah, eight in the middle, and I'm giving up, uh, really underachieving pool this year. And Kaminga, who's again, we talked about at the beginning of the show about role players, that's what he is. He's a role yeah. player until proven otherwise. Um, he has flashes, but. You know, role players are, they have that label for a reason. They're, they're good one week, they're bad the next. They're good one game, bad the next. So it's really becomes a Nathan for a pool thing. And then you decide if you're Phoenix, uh, where am I going to play Jordan Poole? Am I going to bring, tr- make a trade for a starting center to bring in somebody to back up uh, Devin Booker? Yeah. I mean, I think
0: that guy side? would be. I think Cameron Payne would be your backup point guard. You'd start Booker and Poole and and play uh Devin Booker as a prominent point guard, quote unquote, in the backcourt, which he did show a really good job of doing in Chris Paul's absence, as we we did talk about it on the show. Just yeah. not sure for an 82 game season if that could hold up or 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 be likely. But thought it was interesting. And with Jonathan Kaminga, I mean, the more I watched of him in the in the time that I did get to see him out on the floor. I mean, he is still pretty young. Could he be? Maybe at best. I think I think the way I'd look at him is like, best case scenario, he's the second coming of like an Aaron Gordon type role guy. I mean, not just above a role player, not a not an all-star, but like could be a nice piece off the ball.
1: Does that get the Phoenix Suns any closer to a title? Which is their gotta be their goal at this point. You are know, all these moves that they're making to trade for KD. You got Booker in his prime. You just fired your coach. You're trying to you're trying to bring in a lineup coaches and players to win a championship. Does bringing in Jordan Poole and, and Kaminga get you one step close and losing the center get you yep. one step closer to a title? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know Now the Warriors yep. it works out. I think it works out fine.
0: That would be really intriguing to see Aiden on the Warriors, see whether or not they could get to him. Uh, and, and obviously get him going back on the right path that we had seen in years prior when he was, you know, making some strides in this game. But, yeah. uh, I, I just don't see it happening, but I thought it was a pretty good, uh, of the ones that were submitted. That was probably the best one. Um, and with that we'll be, we'll go ahead and get to our final thoughts here tonight and wind down tonight's show. And, uh, I'll let you go ahead and lead us off.
1: Well, thank you, Ross. My opening comment was on a player who was third overall pick in the 2003 NBA draft, and my closing thought is on a player who was the number one pick from that draft, LeBron James. And this isn't a commentary on where James ranks on the all-time greats list because that debate's going on for years and will continue long after he leaves this game, whatever you know, whatever the heck that is. And there's nothing that's going on at this point that's going to change anybody's opinion of where he ranks. But I wanted to talk about just how lucky we are as basketball fans to see a player like this do what he's been doing in year number twenty in a season which he turned thirty-eight. James averaged nearly twenty-nine points, eight rebounds, and seven assists a game. Here's a list of players this year that average at least twenty-five points, seven rebounds, and six assists a game. LeBron and Luca. That's the list. Wow. This is a guy in age 20 or age 38 season number 20 putting all this uh, together and in game game four on monday night he played 47 minutes and 56 seconds and scored 40 points almost had a triple double he's one of the last he's he's the last one standing from the 2003 draft and we as fans are lucky to uh be there for his longevity
0: well said there. Definitely need to appreciate this greatness while we do have them because one day we sure certainly will uh, miss seeing King James out there and we'll have to rely on YouTube highlights to kind of relive those memories. As for my final thought, I'm actually taking your opening thought with Carmelo Anthony retiring. And, you know, there was a great question raised on Twitter today. Which Nugget who wore number 15 will be retired in the rafters? Will it be Carmelo Anthony or Nicole Jokic? If you could only choose one, the answer is quite obvious, even before the Joker uh, obviously is now headed on to the NBA Finals this year and has a chance to bring a title to the mile high. But is there a chance we actually see both? And I know I'm putting you on the spot here, World B. but can you think of another team in the NBA in which two players have gone up in the rafters with the same jersey number? Because before taping here tonight, I could not. And I didn't want to cheat. I wanted to keep this organic.
1: I honestly want to say it's happened. It just doesn't come to mind at the moment. Okay. I'd have to look at the Knicks numbers uh, to be sure. But I, I want to say it's happened, but I'm not positive. Okay. Well, we will definitely report back to our
0: listeners um, on our next episode, whether or not it's been done before. I wanted to see off the top of your head if you could come up with it just to, to show how incredible – you are with your basketball knowledge. There's and, absolutely
1: uh, nothing on the top of my head. I just get that out of there. Yeah.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, at least you confirmed that for yeah. us here at the end of the show. But uh, we want to thank everyone for tuning in here. That will do it for uh, this edition of the 48 minutes. By
1: Podcast, the way, I'll oh, go ahead. by the way, before we go. Yeah. Nick McGuire and Earl Monroe had their number 15 retired by the New York Knicks up in the rafters. There you go. You have, so it. there he goes. So I looked it up and it it was I apologize for ruining your your clothes there, but that's had to get that in.
0: No, you didn't ruin anything. And in fact, you just confirmed you're you're the best we have on the show here. I mean, obviously, right on the tip of your tongue, you said the New York something. All right.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'm something else. (laughs) Well,
0: with that, that will do it for this edition of the 48 minutes podcast on believe presented by bet online. Thanks for tuning in and we'll be back with you on Friday to be sure you're up to date in 48 on all things around this association. Take care, everybody.